Hello and welcome to Energy Policy Cast, where we share recent research in energy policy. I'm your host, Daniel Sneon. Sector coupling has become a buzzword in Brussels as well as across Europe. But what does this term cover and which sectors are we actually talking about? Well, today we are joined by no less than two distinguished professors to discuss this subject. Along with these and an excellent European team of experts, we had the great pleasure of co-authoring a white paper on sector coupling as part of the European Technology and Innovation Platform's Smart Networks for Energy Transition, or ETIP-SNET. The white paper is titled Sector Coupling, Concepts, State-of-the-Art and Perspectives, and my two guests will help break down exactly those concepts state-of-the-art in selected sectors and future perspectives. Professor Brian Elmegaard is expert in thermal energy and Professor Marie Münster is an expert in energy systems. So, uh, Brian and Marie, thank you for joining today. Um, Perhaps uh, this is an unusual situation. We have two native Danes Uh, Both of you, uh, all of us, in fact, are from uh, Technical University of Denmark, which is a quite rare event in this podcast. Um, Perhaps you will just briefly uh, introduce yourselves and and where you are from and and what what you do. Yes, thank you. Thank you for inviting, Daniel. It's interesting to be on this side of the podcast. Um, Yes, uh, I am from DTU Mechanical Engineering, so uh, our focus is... uh, construction to some extent of, of large installations in industry and, and elsewhere. Um, so my expertise is uh, mostly in, in the integration of, uh, of heat pumps uh, into district heating and, and also industry and uh, then also elect- electrification is part of that obviously. Um, refrigeration is uh, one of the other uh, core expertises that we are also focusing on in, in our sex- section. Right. Marie? Yeah. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, my name is Marie Münster. Um, and as Daniel said, I'm I'm professor in energy system modeling in the DTU management. Um, I work with um, trying to integrate more variable renewable energy resources in different ways and and having uh, this uh, national energy system perspective, looking at integrated energy systems and sector coupling from that perspective. Uh, So where Brian has deep knowledge about the specific technologies, I try to, to have like an overview of many different technologies and how they act together. Right, so that's a nice combination uh, of skills uh, to discuss this subject. Um, so if we start out, why why did we start looking at sector coupling? So, so this is a term that has uh, surfaced. It's been perhaps uh, introduced, uh, I guess at least in Danish academia, several decades ago as something called, uh, for instance, integration of energy systems uh, or smart energy systems. So it's, it's, uh, uh, it's gotten many names, but what, what would you describe sector coupling as and then what can it do? Yeah, I, I want to maybe talk about the white paper because the white paper is, is from a working group which focuses quite a lot on the power sector. 
and um, and the intention was kind of to say well how does this sector coupling work uh, for the power sector and and describing this win-win possibility where we say well uh, from the power sector side there's a need for more flexibility so uh, coupling to other sectors where we can store or have flexible consumption is uh, a way to provide flexibility for the power sector on the other hand we do need uh, um, electrification of other sectors in order to decarbonize these sectors so there is this win-win situation and and how to do that in a good way uh, and and also kind of what we wanted to do was to say, well, what is all this about? What are the technologies involved in this so-called sector coupling? What can we expect from them? What is the state of art in terms of these different options? So where are we at at the moment and where could we, what could this bring us? We also uh, have recently discussed, which is, uh, I guess, going slightly beyond the paper, uh, if, if you can subdivide often these popular terms tend to uh, get specified in more details and dissected into different sub uh, branches uh, as as time goes on. So Brienne, perhaps uh, can you uh, maybe add additional perspectives or do you have additional sp perspectives on how to define sector coupling? Yes, I could add a bit. Uh, I just, uh, I, Marie, became aware of the distinction between uh, sector coupling and vector coupling. Uh, so so there are this different sectors of society that may be coupled. And then there are the energy carriers or the vectors that transport energy between the different sectors and, and of, of society. And I think this distinction is quite interesting and relevant and is uh, becoming more and more apparent in when discussing sector coupling that actually it is uh, Different terms that are that that we should distinguish between, um, which I believe will also make it easier to actually comprehend and uh, develop the actual solutions that uh, we we would perhaps need for for doing this. Uh, such that, for example, that we understand that uh, there are different types of energy that are transported transported and may be coupled. So electricity is obviously one of them, but uh, we would also need fuel in some form uh, based on hopefully probably in the future non-fossil non sources. So that, that brings in I guess the, the energy system broad perspective which may be not also always be the case when we discuss uh, smart grids for instance uh, also which is more electricity uh, centered. Perhaps uh, just to to uh, get the the fundamental uh, terms and concepts and background in place, um, Marie, you were the lead author of the white paper, uh, and you are a member of the working group uh, on a reliable, economic, and efficient smart grid system. But what is this ETIP SNET? Uh, who's behind the, the white paper? Yeah, so the the ETIP SNET is. Uh, it's kind of a, um, an advising body for the for the European Commission in terms of what should the focus be for research uh, demonstration and innovation um, going forward. So it, it relates to the the set plan 
and and the ETIP net comes with these uh, uh, suggestions for how to you know how to prioritize um, uh, research funding uh, in the in the years to come, and it's a mixture of uh, research uh, researchers and people from industry and people from um, like transmission system operators. So it's it's a, it's kind of a, a very broad uh, spectra of uh, of different interests that together try to say something about. What should we focus on, and and what should we uh, what should we look further into? So, so what we did in fact look further into is, in, at least in this white paper, uh, three uh, broadly speaking three sectors, which is uh, power to heating and cooling, power to mobility, and power to gas and fuels. Um, so, Marie, why why choose exactly those three sectors for for this study? Well, I think this is uh, some of the where we see a large potential uh, going forward, and uh, and therefore and and also actually where where for some of these uh, potential sector couplings there's uh, there's already today a huge potential. Uh, so I think to kind of get an idea overall, what are we talking about? What is the what is the level we're at? Uh, today and, and what can we expect and and sometimes like uh, sometimes uh, district heating is seen as less sexy than power to x but it it still has a huge potential to help in uh, and of course the heating sector is is responsible for a lot of our greenhouse gas emissions so we also need to focus on that sector and how we decarbonize that in an efficient way right that makes sense If we move on into uh, what what we found during the study, uh, and today we'll only discuss a few of of, uh, of the findings that we make because it's it's a quite uh, extensive report, um, and we will of course provide a link to to the report in the show notes. It's it's free and openly accessible. Uh, but Brian, perhaps you can start out with the power to heating and cooling side, uh, and and that can be many things. Um, so perhaps you can give a brief overview of what we're actually talking about when we say power to heating or cooling. Yes, I can try. And well, this is perhaps one of the examples of the where we should distinguish between sector and vector because there are three. The heating and cooling sector is is uh, often described as a sector in in society and in one category in this, but in the in focusing on the vector part, there is uh, electricity, and then we uh, have heat, and we have cooling, which are three different uh, energy carriers, and all have different purpose. Um, so uh, we may have electricity available, but if if it's cold outside and we need heat, then obviously we would like to have it converted into to heat. Um, so we have. Uh, Often we we see three different uh, sectors that could be involved in in the sector coupling between power, uh, heating and cooling. Uh, so uh, individual use and industrial use, and and then uh, the district energy sector. Um, 
and to some extent, basically, they all need the same. Uh, they all have the same purpose of providing either heat or cooling, and traditionally, the the heat has been provided by burning some kind of fossil fuel and uh, supplying that into a building or for some other purpose. <clears throat> uh, on the other hand, cooling, uh, and uh, that is uh, perhaps, I, I think that's interesting because cooling was already a century ago uh, sector coupled with the electricity for most purposes. Um, so over time, uh, initially cooling plants were refrigeration plants and breweries, for example, were, were operated by a steam engine. So burning some coal and then producing steam and operating the compressors of, of, the, of the cooling plant. But that was then over time converted to using electricity. So in almost any, uh, or most of the, to a far extent, the most of the cooling demand used today is based on electric uh, consumption of electricity and converting that to cooling by some compression of a refrigerant uh, that can then operate and produce a low temperature that can produce cooling. And that is basically the same thing that happens whether or not it's for industrial purpose at low temperature, if it's for supermarkets, if it's for comfort cooling, air conditioning, or, or for for uh, appliances in, uh, uh, for example, a refrigerator, a fridge in, in the kitchen. Um, and so, so one, uh, what we look at today, what we are studying mostly is how do we now get the heating uh, vector or sector coupled into uh, the other sectors as well. And Obviously, one way to go would be just to use electric heaters, convert uh, by resistance, electric resistance. We convert the, the electricity to heat, uh, but uh, we can do much better by in introducing heat pumps. And uh, heat pumps is one of the uh, very important options for the sector coupling. Uh, and uh, as Marie says, it's, it's probably easier to do than several of the other uh, power to x solutions that are available um, but on the other hand it also provides a there is a significant demand for heating uh, in, uh, in in uh, in private homes and uh, and in uh, in other buildings and also in industry and and that could potentially and will probably be converted to a large extent over time um, the the private consumption uh, technology for that is available today uh, to a large extent. Um, but when we get to to district heating uh, and even when we get to industry, it gets a bit more complicated because uh, heat pumps need to provide the temperature that is required for, for the consumer and, uh, and for district heating. Uh, we're already reaching today the limits of what a conventional heat pump can do. So we would probably need development of, of these units to be uh, able to deliver the capacity, uh, so the amount of energy that is needed, but also the temperature. And when we look into industry, then temperatures are very much higher for some types of industry. And uh, there we really have some challenges today 
which may uh, be uh, overcome by future research and, and development projects that are, are taking place today. But just to get a, a quick uh, context of this, for instance, I had the pleasure of visiting uh, different campus energy systems in the US where all of them had uh, steam-based systems which were more than a century old, uh, so more than a hundred years old systems. Um, would would the today's standards, just to give uh, a bit of status on, on what the heat pumps can deliver, could, could they potentially feed in and deliver steam to such systems or would that be uh, uh, possible at all? Uh, it is uh, possible to some extent. I guess that you would be able to find suppliers that could provide steam at some temperature, but perhaps not the temperatures needed in, in those systems. I'm not aware of, of the temperature level exactly. Uh, but the question is whether that would be the way to go or whether we should first lower the temperatures and perhaps use water-based systems for providing the heat because no heat is not needed at the temperatures that we could provide with steam that is just uh, it is uh, perhaps the first or second generation of, of district heating whereas uh, the danish systems are perhaps approaching fourth generation with very low temperatures and using water and that will make it much easier to use today's uh, heat pump technology as well so lowering temperature for efficiency purposes and for the technology will be quite important is it like in in current district heating systems we're around 80 90 degrees Something and, like that. and and low temperature is down to 50 or yes something like that yeah so it's quite Celsius. A, yeah Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> right thanks for clarifying that sorry i interrupted you brian uh, was was there a second part of your answer that you wanted to add I just also wanted just to mention that heat pumps is just like refrigeration plants, a technology that has compressors and has a gas inside a liquid, a fluid. And this fluid, we also have to be careful when we select the fluids because uh, there are some of the fluids used traditionally. Well, some years ago uh, or decades ago, it was uh, also had ozone depletion potential, which is no no longer used. But then we also have refrigerants, which have a quite uh, significant uh, climate uh, greenhouse gas uh, potential. And uh, we should be careful by using those. So uh, there is also quite much focus on using natural refrigerants or the novel uh, synthetic fluids, uh, which may also have uh, competitive uh, advantages uh, in, in the future. And, and it is not completely settled which, which will be the best uh, in any case of those two for the moment. I suppose that also depends on the temperature level that you want to achieve uh, without being an expert in that. Is that true? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it is, and uh, that is because the temperature levels are closely connected to to uh, the physical properties of the fluids, meaning to a large extent uh, pressure, but also the chemical composition and the chemical uh, properties. But, but I guess we needed some standards on this, right? Because I guess with global warming, everybody wants uh, air conditioning in their home soon. Mm -hmm. And then then what? But there, there are the requirements. So we are we have phased out the CFCs, the Freon, and we are coming to phasing out the HFCs. 
uh, and then we will be back to or have the natural fluids which also do have uh, challenges some are flammable and some are, are poisonous uh, so we need to be careful when selecting the fluid for the given purpose so in a private home it may not be the same refrigerant which should be used as in a large industrial plant so uh, i'm not sure there will be just one fluid that will be the best one i guess that we need to select the right ones for the for the purpose right thank you that that was very thorough and and i hope the two or three listeners who are, who are still with us uh found found that it's interesting at least i did probably all of them are mechanical engineers so but before uh, we go further, I just want to quickly delve into hot water storages because that was uh, the, the, the part I covered in the report. Um, and this is uh, essentially, you, you get them in two different forms. One is uh, heat accumulated tanks, uh, which are comparable to a uh, the bottle that you keep your coffee in uh, at your desk. Uh, and the other one is a large pit thermal storage, which is the equivalent to a, a swimming pool, uh, which is just a very hot swimming pool usually. Um, what's interesting about those is that you are able to store very significant amounts of, of energy in those. For instance, in, in the Danish case alone, with the amount of, of large thermal storages that we've built, we've built. Uh, the capacity has reached uh, 44 gigawatt hours as of 2019, I think. Uh, more is on the way. And just for comparison, electric storage uh, in form of batteries is somewhere between 8 gigawatt hours and 12 gigawatt hours, depending on if you ask the IEA or Green Tech Media. So that's a, a whole a different order of magnitude that, that we're speaking. And the same thing goes for, for the costs, where uh, thermal storage costs are somewhere around f uh, between 400 and 600 euros per megawatt hour uh, in investment costs, uh, compared to lithium, lithium iron batteries, which are uh, in the 90, a thousand two hundred forty thousand euros per megawatt hour price range uh, within the next five years so um, what what is maybe interesting is to to consider that if the energy service that you need is actually heat or some kind of thermal service then economically it may make significantly more sense to store it as heat instead of going the detour around uh, electricity storage, for instance. So those were just a few numbers on, on uh, thermal storages, which have quite high potentials, especially in, in areas with, with district heating and district cooling. Um, so Marie, uh, perhaps you can speak a bit about the power to X as a concept, which is I, I think quite widely applied, but maybe not uh, widely understood, at least not under the same definition. Uh, so perhaps you can uh, elaborate a bit on that. Yes. Um, so Power2x has sometimes been used as a term which also includes, which is kind of power to whatever. Uh, but but more and more we see that Power2x is used specifically about uh, power to fuels power to gas and power to chemicals. And, um, and what we've covered in this report is uh, power to, to gas and power to fuels. 
And here we've looked at uh, obviously production of hydrogen via electrolysis. And uh, we've looked at uh, the use of hydrogen for methanation, so to produce methane, uh, green methane. And then uh, we've looked at uh, the use for production of uh, liquid fuels. Uh, this could be um, boosting of biofuels, so to have more energy content, or it could be uh, pure electrofuels, so fuels that, that do not have a, a biomass base. Um, so uh, so the, the report covers uh, some of these technologies and how they kind of the level they're at currently and, and uh, the state of development. Right. And and this also reminds me, uh, I, I saw, unfortunately, it wasn't me who coined the term, but there is the term of X to heat. So we like the X's these days. Uh, and I guess that covers that you can produce he heat in many different ways. Uh, so the X is heat pumps or fuels or whatever. And, and so power to X is, I guess, I think more clearly defined in, in your definition with the uh, the fuels perspective uh, that, that that we at least apply in, in this study. Yeah, and, and kind of building on what you were just saying on, on heat storages, of course, storing energy as a gas or as a liquid is, is a much cheaper way also than storing it as, as electricity. And of course, you can go reverse. So you can store as a, a liquid or a gas, and then from that you can produce uh, electricity again if needed, for example, in peak periods or periods without the variable renewable energy production. So, so it can also uh, supplement the, the power sector in this way. And, and maybe we should say that, that if... The, one of the the interesting aspects of sector coupling is also that we kind of move from a situation where we have flexible production of power, so power production matches the consumption in every hour, to a situation where we have kind of random or variable uh, power production from variable renewable energy sources. And then what we need is uh, to to have a flexible consumption or we need storages, or we need transmission to move the energy to other places where the wind is not blowing that particular moment or similar. So so uh, the sector coupling can also really provide on this. And, and of course, the, the heat pumps that Brian were mentioning, together with the heat storages that you were mentioning, uh, have this capability of having um, a flexible consumption pattern and similarly we see for electrolyzers that, that they may be able to supply this uh, flexibility into the system so that we can produce hydrogen when the electricity prices are low, when the wind and the sun is, is, uh, is providing and then we can we can uh, use it for these uh, uh, different purposes. So, of course, we can use hydrogen directly for different uh, purposes. So, for like for industry or substituting natural gas in different uh, uh, possibilities, we can use it for transport, um, or 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 we can use it to provide other top types of fuels. So in, in doing so, uh, when, when we address these different technologies and sectors that we've discussed so far, um, 
perhaps uh, Marie, you can discuss about their technology readiness level uh, overall, because that was one of the parts that we addressed. And and Brian, you are welcome to to chip in, especially on the the power to heating and cooling side, uh, if you want. But yeah, perhaps we can start. Uh, are we are we there yet with the power to heating and cooling, Brian? Or uh, w- what's the main challenge that we have to address regarding the technology readiness level? Yes, uh, well, I mentioned that all, also before a bit that for for conventional use of heat and for building heating, heating of buildings, I believe that we are close to being there. The question is, uh, what what will happen and when will it happen for for large scale and for high temperature? And uh, there is definitely something to do where uh, the TIL level is. At least lower. Uh, I'm not sure that it, it, it is a quite broad range, and there are several players that have new technology on the way. And um, well, to some extent, the the, the 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 development and the transparency of the need for these solutions will probably also trigger some suppliers to to develop new to, new new solutions that will uh, assist in in, in uh, the sector coupling options. But I guess in a Danish context, we already see heat pumps entering the individual supply and we see it in district heating, right? Mm. Do we see it in industry today? A bit. A, little a bit. bit. There, so are, there are examples, yes. Yeah. yes. But not exactly, yes, for the purpose of sector coupling, but not also the, the solutions for the flexible operation are perhaps not there yet. Mm. And I think that is also core of the sector coupling idea that mm. we need to be able to provide flexibility. And there we definitely need some further development. And there are examples of trying to operate heat pumps flexibly. Uh, there is the Energy Lab Norhound in Copenhagen project uh, where there is a heat pump uh, use, uh, using under the term of of uh, flex heat, and that is the idea to be able to operate this heat pump flexibly in the heating system. Um, and well, it is uh, as far as I see quite successful, but it also is apparent that there are challenges and that the technology need further development to actually be able to do this uh, under all conditions. I think this is a strong point that that. Uh of course, this win-win situation I was mentioning is not going to be there if we electrify these other sectors, but we do it not flexibly. So so we need a smart uh, uh, sector coupling in the sense that, that we really need these technologies uh, to, pro- to, to have, for example, uh, um, uh, flexible consumption patterns. So they need to be coupled with, with storage technologies. They need to be able to ramp up and ramp down and so on. So, so, uh, and if they don't, we, we saw this. I mean, we didn't talk much about that, but there is a, also a section on, on power to mobility, uh, focusing on electric vehicles and, and the potential of electric vehicles. And of course, we can see that if we all get electric vehicles and we plug them in, on the already existing peaks, we're really going to to ruin the the, the power sector and, and give huge problems. Whereas if we operate them flexibly and we charge them flexibly, then 
uh, we have a, a situation where we may relieve problems in the power sector. So there's a huge uh, a difference in whether we, we uh, do this sector coupling smartly or not. Um, and of course, that goes for the other uh, technologies uh, as well as for the heat pumps. And, and this obviously also leads to the idea, well, to the need for for much more multidisciplinary understanding uh, in the different sectors and among the different disciplines, and also the idea of using data and digitalization to a much further extent. I think this will be required in order to be able to, mm. to do this. So, so speaking of that, I think, yeah, I think. Go ahead, Marie. Yeah. No, I just I wanted to mention that that I think that that one of the conclusions of this sector coupling report was also that that uh, we really need coordination in terms of planning of infrastructure because these different types of infrastructures, so the electricity grid and the gas grid and the district heating grids, they can um, they can really supplement each other and and we can exploit synergies, uh, but but we have to be careful that we are not um over or under investing and so over investing of course just means that we are wasting money and under in, in investing means that we we are not able to utilize these synergies and 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 make the system as cheap as it could be so we uh, we really need this type of coordination and we have to say that currently there's a lot of of silo thinking in terms of this is the electricity sector and here we have the heating and here we have transport and they're completely kind of decoupled and and so we need to couple them physically but we also need to couple the planning of uh, these infrastructures and i think that is um, that is going to be a challenge that's a, of course a very important point and and relating to that uh, do you see marie a a level playing field for for the different at least the sectors and technologies that we've covered or are there imbalances that perhaps should be addressed or uh, that, that you find that they're not readily available to, to do what we want them to do? Well, I think um, I think that, that as, as Brian mentioned, so the, the power to heating and power to cooling technologies are maybe some of the technologies that are further, have the highest TRL, uh, maybe power to mobilities or electric vehicles coming close. Mm-hmm. And some of these technologies are starting to be able to compete on commercial terms, but but there is still there can still be barriers, and I, I think you've covered that also in your PhD, that that there can be barriers uh, in terms of regulation uh, or market barriers, which which kind of impede the use of these new technologies. So we need a fresh look at our regulation and, and market setups in order to make sure that we allow these technologies to enter and really be used. Um, so, for example, in a Danish context, we've recently put down the tax on use of electricity for heating so that the heat pumps have a chance to enter. Uh, and, and things like that, I think we, we need to look at. Whereas maybe on the power to X side, uh, we need demonstration, we need upscaling, we, we are at another TRL level and, and, and there we need uh, research, demonstration funding to, to get some projects going and learn. And so, so the, the, it's not the same TRL level, but we kind of need it all 
because uh, we need the electrification of these sectors and uh, we need to do it in a smart way in order not to waste a lot of money. Hmm. Thank you for that, uh, Marie and Brian. I think I think we covered a lot of, of interesting subjects until now. Uh, perhaps if we just take uh, a peek into the future of of uh, of this subject, uh, Brian, is there anything that you would like to add regarding uh, increased sector coupling uh, that that would be desirable, or any paths to take? Uh, regarding selected technologies or overall directions that, that you see beneficial? One thing that might be mentioned is that there are options for additional integration. This is not only for power to heat or to some mobility or other sectors. There's also the option of integrating the other sectors to each other. So a cooling plant has excess heat and that can be provided into to heating. Uh, those options should not be forgotten while we are, are doing power to X or heat or whatever. I think that's a, that's a strong point because uh, when we look at power to X, we also have uh, a large uh, excess heat production that, that could be utilized. Uh, if, if, uh, if these power to X uh, facilities are placed in, in a smart way, we can have some... Uh, we can have some synergies, so we can utilize this excess heat either directly for other industries or we can use it for district heating and so on. So so there's a lot, a lot of work for Brian and his guys to do in terms of, of uh, optimizing use of heat uh, in a smart way and doing a lot of pinch analysis, I think. Good points. I think, um, I guess, uh, so, so far, perhaps we've mo mostly speaking, been speaking about power sector coupling to other sectors, but what your guys are saying is that we should also look more horizontally to, to other sectors. What, uh, do you see any uh, new, sorry, do you see any new buzzwords coming, uh, which is sort of extending uh, beyond sector coupling? Uh, giving our listeners perhaps a first peek of what should be like the next pioneering front uh, going from here? I, I think that, that at least we have to add the adjective of a smart sector coupling to it, right? Because as we just talked about, I mean, it, it's not, uh, it, it's, it's just disruptive if, it's, uh, if we just do it and we don't do it smartly or flexibly. So, so we need, in order to achieve this win-win situation that we want, we really need the flexibility incorporated. And, and as Brian says, this also kind of requires a lot of, of data and, and, uh, and digitalization. So I think that maybe, let's say, smart sector coupling could be... Uh, uh, this is uh, kind of along the lines of the smart energy systems or, or whatever, but, but I think that, that sector coupling is a, is a phrase which is easy to understand what are we talking about. Um, so in that sense, I, I kind of like it, it, it and, uh, and then just let's add the smartness to that. Um, and then I think that, that maybe, maybe we should have a better understanding of these grids and how they can work together. Uh, so we've talked a lot about conversion technologies, but I think we need a, a kind of 
coordinated uh, grid sector coupling sort of thing, planning. Um, I don't know if that could become a buzzword, but maybe maybe we can think of a smarter way to phrase it. I think smart sector coupling. You you heard it first here, folks. That's that's the next big big thing. And then I think we need some uh, some marketing people to work on the uh, grid uh, sector coupling that that Marie just described. Is there any other things that you would like to add here be- before we end? Well, I, if we can, uh, can we come with a small commercial? Absolutely. Well, because at DTU we've actually had like a, a, a smart energy system sector coupling project going on because that is kind of an, an additional source of information about how does this all work with with a lot of our colleagues from, from DTU has been involved and um, from other parts. And then I would like to put out an, an advert for for a project I've been involved in that that has kind of contributed to this report also called Future Gas, where we in in August are publishing our final report uh, from that project. And and that project will then mainly focuses on the the power to gas and and power to X uh, part of of things, but but it is still an integrated energy system we're looking at. So there's also heat pumps in, in that study, and so it looks at at future scenarios and and what could the role of the natural gas grid be um, going forward, or should we just call it uh, gas grid? That moves us into uh, the more informal part, which is uh, what we call the peer review. And I think uh, Marie already gave uh, a peek, sneak peek on, on uh, her recommendations. Brian, do you have anything uh, to add? Uh, any recommendations for our listeners that, that you think they should uh, perhaps enjoy looking further into? Uh, yeah, uh, then I could start with something related to the topic and then I may uh, diverge a bit afterwards. So. First uh, is that uh, this idea of sector coupling is not only a Danish idea, but it's international. And the different programs under the International Energy uh, Agency are all, I believe, looking into sector coupling. And at least I know for for the heat pump program and for the industrial energy technology, industrial energy related technologies and systems program, there are uh, new annexes underway that will relate to this and that could be something to perhaps join or look more into for those interested uh, and then uh, on the, on your suggested list uh, you also mentioned podcasts and uh, well for those who want other podcasts i i have few recommendations so uh, i guess there are some of the traditional ones the radio lab uh, which is very famous and also 99% invisible which is really just uh, nice to listen to and have many uh, topics that you didn't think were so interesting as they are Um, but perhaps the one I uh, wanted to mention is uh, the productivity show I try to uh, get a bit out of my email inbox so uh, the ideas of inbox zero and uh, and uh, not letting uh, your email uh, 
uh, inbox be a task list for others to write on. I think that is uh, quite interesting. And uh, there is a paper uh, that uh, I could recommend, uh, which is uh, written by some medical researchers, and it is something like uh, living like an academic athlete. So uh, using some of these concepts of productivity and and um, and and relating that to how athletes are actually developing. I think that is uh, quite inspiring for people who are busy. Great recommendations. I, I very much enjoy this part of, of the podcast because uh, we have a v- variety of different recommendations. So so thanks for those, both of you. I think... I, I could maybe add one thing. Please. Which, which happened recently is that... Um, a lot of, of players, so, so linking to the Power 2X, a lot of players recently formed a research center uh, for um, zero carbon shipping uh, with, uh, with Mask uh, um, as, as one of the main sponsors. And, um, and I think that's super interesting. And I would recommend people to, to, uh, to follow what is going to happen in that. That is some of the main uh, shipping uh, and engine producers and, and so on, uh, companies that have joined together to try to really uh, make a change in the shipping industry. And, uh, and for shipping, I think that, that Power2x uh, has a huge potential. So um, at least uh, I have started following the, that that center on LinkedIn to to follow the news that's going to come from there. Great, that's that's a nice addition and certainly an important sector to include, often forgotten. With those words, I just want to say thank you very much for joining. Uh, We had a long and interesting talk, so uh, I hope uh, our listeners will enjoy that as much as I have. So Marie and and Brian, thank you very much for, for joining today. Thank you for having me. As always, you can find links to the resources mentioned in the podcast in the notes to this episode. I'm very happy to hear your comments, so get in touch with me, Daniel Sneel. My details are also in the notes. If you rate us in whatever platform you're using, you may also help the research reach new ears. Sound design is by Dear Caesar, and the podcast is hosted by Technical University of Denmark's Sustainability Division. We publish whenever there is new research and when we can make schedules meet. So consider Energy Policy Cast more as a surprise gift in your podcast feed than a regular broadcast. Thank you for listening.